Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Always looking at what are those value generators and looking at permits being pulled, seeing where the activity is and trying to invest on the periphery of that versus in the middle of nowhere and hoping that you build the development every day you come. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Ash Patel and I'm with today's guest, Joshua Kagan. Joshua is joining us from Denver, Colorado. He is the CEO of Bonfire. It's Robin Hood meets real estate. They tokenize properties. Joshua's portfolio consists of a bunch of single family rentals and investments in multifamily, industrial, and land. Joshua, thank you for joining us. And how are you today? Awesome. Thank you, Ash, for having me. And it's an honor to be here. So thank you so much. Joshua, the pleasure is ours. If you would give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now. Awesome. So I've spent the last 14 years working in the built environment. I worked at a venture capital firm that invested in internet of things and things kind of related to smart buildings and storage. And then Richard Branson and Al Gore had dinner and Branson got really freaked out about climate change and wanted to do something about it and created a company called the Carbon War Room and asked my boss, who is the managing partner of our fund, to be the COO of it. He asked me to come over and I ran the Energy Efficiency and Buildings Division for four years, which was focused on investing in multifamily office and hotel efficiency projects. We did that, got acquired, and then I went to a startup called Clean Fund, which is a venture-backed specialty finance company that provides capital for energy efficiency projects using a structure called PACE, Property Assessed Clean Energy. And all the while, in 2011, I did my first real estate project as a principal. My family comes from real estate, but I've never done a project myself. And I bought a foreclosure in the Berkeley Hills, and I did the Burr method of buy, rehab, rent, and refinance. Did another one, then started doing fix and flips, then started doing more Burr method. And Bonfire was born a couple of years ago. I met my co-founder. He came from India 10 years ago, started and sold three companies, including one for $200 million. And one of his problems is he owns real estate in the Bay Area where he lives as well as India, but he wants to build a bigger portfolio. 
And he doesn't have the bandwidth to vet outside of markets that he lives in. And India is kind of, it takes care of itself. He has someone who manages his portfolio. So that's kind of where he was coming from is how do I build out a bigger portfolio of passive income without buying a REIT or, or something that's kind of a managed fund? How do I get access to real estate in other markets? Where I was coming from in all this is my friends are in their 30s and 40s. They want to own real estate, but they have student debt and interest rates have doubled in the last year and private equity is buying a lot of the supply. So they're frustrated that they're not on the property ownership ladder. And we looked at every single platform that exists out there and we asked ourselves, why can't someone with one or two clicks buy actual tangible real estate and own it? And that was the genesis of Bonfire. If you would explain to our best ever listeners what tokenizing real estate is and the benefits of doing that. So historically, real estate has suffered from, I'd say a number of issues, but one of them is liquidity and being able to transact quickly because you have to go down to a county assessor's office and you need notaries and signatories, et cetera. What tokenization is, is basically we're able to record ownership interests in real estate on the blockchain. Now, what is the blockchain? Blockchain, think of it as a ledger on steroids, where you have a block of data that's connected to other data through a chain. It's kind of a geeky answer, but it's basically an immutable record. So blockchain enables us to record interests in real estate. So people want to buy and sell. It's permissionless, it's trustworthy, and it can happen faster. So by tokenizing a real estate asset, we're able to chop it up into smaller pieces. So let's say, Ash, you and I and and a friend decided to buy a building for a million bucks. Each of us would have to come up with $333,000. With tokenization, we could chop it up into a million units and have a million people come in for a dollar. It's kind of a silly example. But tokenization facilitates democratization. It enables people who historically wouldn't be able to own real estate to actually get on that property ownership ladder. Some of the benefits of that are, for example, foreign investment. If you have geopolitical turmoil in whatever country and the oligarchs or the high net worth people in that country want to put money into U.S. real estate, what are they going to do? Are they going to fly to New York and buy an apartment or can they just buy a tokenized real estate asset that has exposure to U.S. real estate? So a lot of benefits And I would riff on that for a second and say, look, our platform is subject to know your customer and anti-money laundering rules. So we don't allow Russian nationals and people from Syria, North Korea to purchase our platform. But my wife comes from Turkey. And when we got married 11 years ago, it was at 1.5 lira to the dollar. Now it's 19. So the currency has been debased 95%. And when we launched our MVP at the end of last year, it was astonishing the number of people who posted on Twitter and our Discord, hey, I'm a cab driver in Jaipur, India, or I'm an economist in Argentina, and I now own real estate in the US of A. That's powerful, especially for people in countries, again, to your point, who's facing geopolitical issues and want to have tangible assets in the US. What are the challenges in a regulatory environment? It's a great question. Our regulatory council comes from the SEC and specifically the enforcement division of the SEC. And when we were gearing up to sell out our MVP last year, our first asset, she said, look, historically, if you and a couple of buddies come together and buy a real estate asset, it's like owning a tenancy in common. It's, it's a cooperative. It's not considered a security. And then FTX blew up and she spoke to her former colleagues at the commission. And basically the SEC has decided to take a bazooka to anything related to blockchain. So that forced us to say, 
We don't know because of the lack of leadership at the SEC in terms of guidance around what constitutes a security versus not a digital token. We're going to take the most conservative approach possible and just assume that what we're selling are securities and have to go through the various exemptions provided by selling securities. So what that means is it's a more cumbersome process for our users in terms of the information they have to give us. And it's a clunkier UI, but it's relatively the same exact process. I think it's important to discern because there are hundreds of companies trying to do what you're doing. You see all the competition out there and what Elizabeth Warren, her friends are doing since FTX is they're trying to put a kibosh on all of this. So are you telling me the way around this is basically trade this as a security? Yeah, that is what I'm saying is basically we are in just such a regulatory uncertainty environment, whether it's the Senate, whether it's the SEC, there's just such a lack of leadership in Washington around digital assets that we're just saying, we're just going to assume that these are securities and therefore the restrictions on retrading them have to apply. So depending on whether someone, I don't want to go too far in the weeds, but depending on whether someone's accredited or unaccredited or international will depend upon how quickly these tokens could be retraded on our secondary marketplace. And that secondary marketplace is important because I can tokenize the house that I live in and sell it to 10 different people. But if there's no way for them to cash out or trade it on a secondary market, there's no liquidity. They're just title holders or deed holders to this one piece of real estate, right? So what is that secondary market that you are using? number of things there. One is just kind of a cool side use case of tokenization. Let's say you had a house that you're living in and it's making up numbers. It's worth a million dollars and you own it free and clear. And you're like, I'd love a hundred grand to buy a boat or something. And you're like, I don't want to have to go out and get a home equity line of credit where interest rates are 7% right now. What if we could help you tokenize it and you could sell one-tenth of the asset to whoever And basically they're just a passive investor. And so one day when you sell the house, they get 10% of the equity. That's a new capital source for you and for anyone. So we're not focused on that use case, but we think that's a really interesting one down the line, especially when people are locked in with really low interest rates too in their assets. The secondary marketplace right now that we're building is based upon or white labeling someone else's license because there's certain rules. We need something called an ATS license and some other licenses that's going to take a year to get. So we're building it using someone else's licenses, white label until we have those licenses to build our own native platform, if that makes sense. And what that secondary market does is if I sell a 10th of my house for that $100,000, the buyer can then sell that token on that market. And if the market as a whole thinks my house is appreciated, he'll get more than the 100000 And if it's depreciated, he or she will get less. So it basically adds liquidity to me and also the investor. 100%. And through our technology, we're embedding each of these tokens with smart contracts that say things like, oh, your house has this mortgage on it. You paid the April mortgage on it. And asset level information was the tenancy, the occupancy, vacancy, all that, deferred maintenance, inspection reports, all that stuff is built into our smart contracts. But then also sub-market data, like there's a lot of supply coming online. New buildings permits were pulled in the last quarter of this much. And there's so much data that we can embed within the tokens that can just give investors more confidence that, oh, if I'm buying a token, I really know what these tokens represent. 
Where are you in the development process? How close are you to tokenizing real estate? We tokenized real estate, Ash. We did a, a very modest proof of concept at the end of last year. It was a single family rental inside of Charlotte, $310,000 asset. We turned it into 10,000 tokens. We sold it for $31. We had 1,250 people create accounts, about 200 buy from 15 countries. They bought with US dollars through their bank. They bought with crypto. And we did zero paid marketing whatsoever. This was 100% word of mouth. And the whole point of it was an MVP, a minimum viable product to test out the tech, the marketing, just how it all comes together. So we're actually launching our next asset in a couple of weeks. And it's a $50 million hotel repositioning project in the Bay Area where someone's buying a hotel that's a two-star, four points hotel and transitioning into a Marriott four-star hotel. And it's a sponsor that I personally invested three deals with before. And he's an A-plus sponsor. And historically, with one of his deals, you need a minimum of $50,000, $100,000 to invest. We're able to tokenize our allocation and bring that down to $1,000. So historically, a lot of retail people don't have direct access to these kinds of deals. And that's the power of our technology. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Are you a real estate investor looking to break into the multifamily investing space? Have you heard of MFIN Con happening in Charlotte, North Carolina, June 12th through the 14th? The Multifamily Investor Nation Convention is a place to learn from over 60 high-level apartment investors while networking with more than 700 additional investors. If that's not enough for you, A-Rod, yep, Alex Rodriguez, 12-time Major League Baseball All-Star with over $700 million of commercial real estate assets, will be live and in person speaking at the event. Also speaking is the one and only Dr. Robert Cialdini, the godfather of influence and the award-winning author. I personally love his books. So be sure to secure your tickets to this live in-person event before they're gone. Go to MFINCon.com for more details. Sponsorship opportunities are also available. Visit MFINCON.com today. Use the promo code BESTEVER to get $200 off your tickets. That's MFINCON.com. The Charlotte example, the proof of concept, that was non-accredited investors. And that was before you had to market this like a security. Correct. It was non-accredited and accredited investors participating. And in this hotel, what's changed since this regulation? We can do accredited, not accredited, as well as international investors. The only thing that's changed specifically for the non-accredited, we have to use a third-party platform and their license. They have something called a qualified investor portal, a QIP, that facilitates Reg CF, Reg crowdfunding, and they're going to handle some of our back end that can't go on our platform. It has to be kind of housed on there. So it's annoying from our end. Our customers won't really notice a difference. Joshua, what's the minimum investment in this hotel deal? We're still working it out. I'll know more in the next couple of days. I'd say somewhere between $1,000 and $1,800. And... The difference between what you're doing in terms of compliance, legal, what's the difference between that and a syndication? A number of things. We essentially are a syndication that's tokenized. And the advantage with that is A, our minimums are lower. But two, when we finalize our secondary marketplace, historically in a syndication, you're at the whims of the GP of when they have an exit. With our model as an LP, when we have our secondary marketplace built, you're not going to be stranded in the deal. You're going to be able to sell your tokens in a liquid market. And that's the power of blockchain and tokenization. Okay. So just trying to paint a picture for the best ever listeners, it is essentially a syndication, but your investment has some liquidity because of the marketplace. 
it would be the equivalent of me being an LP in somebody else's syndication and they allowing me to take myself off of that and put somebody else in. So if I have an audience of a thousand people, I can say, I'm getting out of this multifamily syndication. Who wants to take over my spot? Pretty similar, right? Pretty similar, yeah. Now, when you have a $1,000 investor, they have to get a K-1 at the end of the year. Is that correct? They do, yes. So what does that do to your accounting costs, your back-end costs? We just went through this with our first asset. Classic startup, you fake it till you make it. You figure it out. So we had to interview 10, 20, 30 different accountants and different services. Fortunately, we found a really good one that they just have certain economies of scale that's going to enable us to do this pretty inexpensively. The one mistake we made, I'll just be totally honest about things we've done well, things we've done poorly, is we didn't ask people at the outset what their social security numbers were because we don't want to be handling people's private data as little as possible. But that was a mistake because now we're having to go after the fact to do the K-1s and get people to fill out W-9s and all that stuff. But in general, it's going to cost about $1,000 in LLC per year, which I don't think is a prohibitively expensive cost. And that's where we're at now. Maybe we can bring that down further. Got it. In terms of competition, again, this is a hot arena. A lot of entities are getting into this. What are you seeing for competition? And there's people behind you. There's people ahead of you. How do you gauge your competition and what differentiates you? That's a great question. Look, are REITs a competitor? Maybe because that's money that people want to invest in real estate, not necessarily do the project themselves or putting money somewhere and they're putting it into REITs, but that's an older demographic. So we don't really think that we directly compete with them. There's the Fundrise, CrowdStreet, Realty Moguls of the world, which in some ways act like private REITs. If I want exposure to multifamily in the Northeast, it's great. Go to one of those platforms. But again, they're not necessarily directly enabling direct investment into a specific real estate asset as much as a mutual fund of real estate. So every day someone sends me a PowerPoint of a new company that's trying to raise money off this idea who have never transacted, who've never built smart contracts before, who don't even come from real estate. So it's a lot of noise out there, but there's entities like Arrived Homes, groups like that. And I have respect for all of them. Look, anyone trying to do this, this is hard. Anyone trying to enable more affordability of housing and investments into real estate, I tip my hat to them. It's a big enough market where we can all do well. I would say our key differentiations are a few. One is we're not just doing single family rentals. In fact, our next assets are trophy deals. This hotel repositioning asset, we're working on an institutional grade apartment deal in Dallas, and we have a whole bunch of other stuff in the pipeline. So I think because our team comes from real estate, our network of advisors are more real estate focused than crypto or something, we have access to really good deal flow. So we're more focused on commercial assets and really high quality sponsors. We're just laser focused on delivering value to our customers and really focus on these commercial assets. Joshua, on these deals, can there be bank debt on a tokenized asset or does it have to be owned free and clear? Absolutely. There can be bank debt. Yeah, 100%. We roll up as an LLC or an SPV on the cap table. So the lender is still underwriting the GP. We're not the GP. Okay. So you're an entity. You're essentially an LP. Essentially, yes. Got it. Who is the ideal client for tokenizing one of their properties? Is it something where it's hard to find traditional financing for? Is it somebody that wants higher leverage? Who's the low-hanging fruit to go after? 
yeah. that would jump on a tokenized platform? That's a great question, Ash. A couple different sponsor types that come to mind. One is, I don't know what your experience is, but in the last four weeks, ever since Silicon Valley Bank collapsed, debt markets have changed. Lending in, in the credit markets, I'm just being told this by my friends who are sponsors, that lending has just gotten much more restrictive. So maybe before you could get 65, 70% LTV, now it's 60, 65, covenants have changed, et cetera. So I think we're a new source of capital stack. We can replace other equity that would have to be raised and maybe fill in some of the debt that's not being provided. That's one use case. Another is a lot of my friends who are sponsors and developers are variably in a project. There can be delays, construction, things happen, and my LPs get impatient. They get divorced. Something happens where they need to exit and they come to me and they say, I need to get out of this. And there's no liquidity for them. So by enabling us to tokenize part of their syndication, whether we fill it or not, gives their investors a way out in the future. And that's powerful. I think that just makes it a more compelling deal relative to a competitor who doesn't have this opportunity for their LPs to get out. And in a perfect world, when all of this hits and it becomes relatively easy to tokenize real estate, what do you think that's going to do to asset prices, U.S. real estate asset prices? Oh, man, it's so hard to know. Because on the one hand, I could see a lot more capital coming in. On the other hand, I could see the real estate markets becoming much more efficient. So I don't know, I read a white paper that said because real estate is illiquid, you get sort of a, a premium that gets traded at a premium relative to what it should because of the lack of liquidity. So I don't know, but the idea of trillions of dollars from people who historically don't invest in real estate coming in would be very powerful. I can't imagine it would cause prices to go down long term. Yeah, I love hearing what you just said because historically I've only heard that foreign capital is going to come to the U.S., but you're right. The markets become a lot more efficient and assets are priced the way they should be. Yeah, good point. Thank you for sharing that. Joshua, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Always look in the pathway of development. I was mentored by a guy named Richie Abramson who talks about always look at the value generator. And for me, I drive around Denver and look at the cranes and I create maps. Where are the cranes going and what's the next neighborhoods? That's my own single family portfolio. But always looking at what are those value generators and looking at permits being pulled, seeing where the activity is and trying to invest on the periphery of that versus in the middle of nowhere and hoping that you build the development, everyone will come. Joshua, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? I hope so, man. <laughs> All right, Joshua, what's the best ever book you recently read? It's a book called Strategies of Genius by Robert Diltz. He's the OG co-founder of neuro-linguistic programming. And what he did is he studied the mental processes of geniuses like Aristotle and Walt Disney. And what he found when he looked at Disney specifically, and I've actually started using this in Bonfire, is Disney, when he created Fantasia, he had three rooms, the creative room, the how to make things happen, and why the idea will fail. So what he did is he took all of his really smart, creative folks, put them in room number one. And then when an idea germinated out of that, he was like, okay, let's go to room number two. He brought in different people. And those people were like, how do we turn this amazing idea into something that's real? Once he got through room number two, he brought in the most skeptical members of his team. Why the idea is going to fail. And then depending on what happened in room number three, it either went back to room number one or two. And I say that because in brainstorms, if you bring in people who are just nervous Nellies or they're just naysayers, they will kill creativity. So you have to really identify which room you're in, in any sort of meeting. And that's what I took from that book. 
Uh, I love that. And I think it could be applied to real estate very well. We need people to be skeptical of some of the deals that people are doing. We've had such a great run of prosperity and had we stress tested deals and we talked through the what if scenarios, I think not as many people would be feeling pain right now. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. Joshua, what's the best ever way you like to give back? I like mentoring social entrepreneurs and I only have a couple that I work with at a time, but it's usually younger people in their twenties who have a burning itch to solve some sort of societal problem using business or market-based force to do it, but have no idea where to start. And if I can impress upon them the mistakes I've made so they don't have to go through it again and accelerate their process, it's a total win-win. And I just love working with younger people and helping them accomplish their dreams. Joshua, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? Find me on LinkedIn, Joshua Kagan, K-A-G-A-N, or on Twitter, Joshua Kagan 1. Also, you can go to bonfire.capital. Joshua, thank you again for your time today, sharing what's going on in the world of tokenization, some of the challenges, some of the benefits that can arise from it. So thank you again for your time today. Ash, you're the man. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. It was a pleasure. Best ever listeners, thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share this podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also, follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so... Join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.